get a job. Work hard. And one day you can retire and do the things you want. That's the typical formula for daily life in the modern world. And it works for lots of people. This kind of life is perfect. But it's not for us. And I'm guessing that it's not for you either. I'm David Allen Patali, and I'm Carmen Allen Patali, and together we run the content company Red Platypus. I'm also a published fiction author, and we have two young daughters who keep us on our toes. We've both said no to well-paid jobs in favour of pursuing our creative paths, and we want to walk them with you. Freelancer, digital nomad, artist, creative, self-employed. Whatever you want to call it, if you work for yourself and want to keep it that way, or want to be free from the nine to five and don't know where to start, we want to help. We're going on a journey to speak to committed creatives, people who are all in, who have made highly successful businesses out of their creativity, and ask them how they do it while retaining the magic. Because while we think inspiration is good, we've come to learn that process is vital. Welcome to the Committed Creative Podcast, your toolkit for the creative life you want. Here's to going all in and becoming a committed creative. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to have Dr. Kyla Smith with me today on the podcast. If you're an Aussie mum of a young child, you've probably already heard of Dr. Kyla, but if not, let me introduce you to her. Dr. Kyla is the creator and owner of Baby Mealtimes and Toddler Mealtimes, online programs educating parents on what to feed their children and how to go about it. She's super passionate about guiding parents through the challenges of feeding their fussy babies and children, and as a paediatric dietitian, she has been helping families for more than a decade. Dr. Kyla launched Baby Mealtimes after realizing many parents were feeling anxiety and confusion around feeding their children, and her gentle guidance has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of parents around the world. Her passion is so infectious, and her drive is admirable. Dr. Kyla launched her business while on maternity leave less than five years ago, and it's grown exponentially since then. So, without further ado, let's dive in and chat with Dr. Kyla. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because I'm pretty sure I've been following since you started because I think my daughter was around 18 months or two, which would have been about three, four years ago. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's when it all started happening. So obviously I know your business quite well, but for any of our listeners who might not have heard of you, do you want to just take a minute to introduce yourself and let everyone know what it is you do. Sure. I'm Dr. Kyla. Um, I'm a pediatric dietitian uh, and I'm the owner and founder of Baby Mealtimes, Toddler Mealtimes and the new School Mealtimes and soon to be Family Mealtimes. Uh, There's a whole slew in the Mealtimes range. And basically what I do is they're online programs where I help parents feed their kids feeling good about it. So it's about feeling confident, knowing what you can do, protect your kids from diet culture, start them off on the right foot, help reduce fussy eating, um, and just generally enjoy mealtimes together. Brilliant. And before you launched into the online space, you were working in the public health system, I believe. Is that right? 
interestingly, so yeah, I had 10 years um, in the public health system and I took uh, maternity leave from there. Uh, and that's when I started setting up these businesses. But I also had a, a private clinic um, just before I went on maternity leave. Plus I was working you know, at the university lecturing a bit. I was doing about five jobs um, prior to going on maternity leave. And since then I've kind of narrowed down to just one kind of job. So what sparked the idea to go online and create mealtimes? Yeah, so originally um, when I was on leave with Elsie, my first daughter, I really wanted to write a book. And so my plan was when she started Solids, it would be a book called Elsie Eats. And it was basically walking through what I fed her, why I fed her, you know, kind of trying to teach some lessons along the way. Um, because I worked, my clinic was a fussy eating clinic. So I worked with really restrictive kids, those that found food really tricky. And I really wanted to show parents how to start off with with fun, with food, with enjoying it and actually kind of preventing some of the problems that I was seeing in my clinic. So my plan was to write a book um, and to kind of, I was supposed to be taking photos every day of the food and I was, I was taking them, but I was getting really slack with like, recording them um, as well. I was also on maternity leave and adjusting to parenthood, so it probably was slackness. <laughs> it was a little bit of overwhelm. Exactly, um, probably. <laughs> oh, sleep deprivation, 100%. She was a terrible sleeper. Um, yeah, I usually had 33 minutes to get the job done when she would nap, so it was fast. Um, I would put them on Instagram instead. So that's where I kind of started putting pictures of what she was eating and I would get messages from people asking kind of questions about it and they were fueling these ideas for this book. What was I going to put in there? What are people asking? And it was the same questions, the same confusion points, the same level of overwhelm for all these parents. And at that point I thought, is a book really what I want to do? Because I have a whole shelf of, you know, recipe books. I've got a whole shelf of, you know, parenting kind of books. And when you read them the first time, awesome, you know, they make sense. You make a recipe out of them, but then you put them back on the shelf and you just kind of move on with your life and you forget that they're ever there. And so I thought, how can I make this something that parents can access every day really easily? How can I make it tiny bits of information that just kind of gets drip fed because we all don't have time and we don't have space in our brains and we need just constant prompting to be like oh yeah that thing you know that I'd forgotten mm-hmm. about or, oh yeah we need to offer egg again or you know oh yeah I knew she was going to get fussy around this age that's cool I can be ready for this um, and that's where the idea of the website kind of came about and it was really before the time that memberships were a thing. I think we've definitely seen in the last couple of years that's really um, exploded. So this was 2018 that I launched. Mm. Um, and at that point, I really, like it was very basic. The website really just had a, a password protect. It wasn't very automated. It was quite messy. Um, but it did the job at that time because there was nothing else to compare it to. And, yeah, people were able to see things every day if they wanted to. Mm. And even now, I mean, there's not that much to compare it to because, sure, there's more memberships, but there's hardly any membership options in the space that you work in. And certainly in health in general, there's not – I mean, there's like personal training in that kind of membership, but in terms of diet and especially paediatric diets, I think you're really niche in that space. I'd like to say, though, also because what we've done, like what I've been really committed to doing with this is making it better every time. And so mm. we are literally, and I have a 
a little team now, we are consistently upgrading it, improving it, adding content to it, streamlining it, making it more accessible for members. You know, we've just introduced a weekly email that has kind of meal ideas and food inspo and finger food tips for our baby members and answering questions and things like that. So it has definitely evolved. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's kind of filled up the space is because I'm committed to it being the best thing it ever could be. Um, which, would, mm. which hopefully for my competitors is hard to compete with um, Definitely at this point. And just the fact you're so established in that space and you're really well known now. And let's just go back to Instagram because obviously that's where you, would you still say that's where most of your audience come from? Absolutely. Instagram and word of mouth are my two big ones. Yeah. So how, like you mentioned that you started just posting what Elsie was eating and you started getting followers, but how else and what else do you think you've done that's helped to grow your followers? It's interesting because I had a very small following for a long time, um, actually on a previous account. um, And I wasn't really clear on my direction. Like it was meant to be a fussy eating account. And then I got close, I think I got to 10,000 members when you were still waiting for that swipe up feature and that took years, years to get to. Mm. And then I stupidly started a second account because I was like, oh, I'm confusing people. I'm adding baby things to the Fussy Eater page. So I'll start a new one. And then I was trying to populate both and it was just stupid. I didn't understand. Sounds like a lot of work as well. Oh, so much work. And I didn't really understand what I was doing at that point. Um, So in the end, I went for this second one and it was more at the the time it was baby mealtimes and it's now evolved into Dr. Kyla. And it's really a much clearer on what it is. And it's my, it's me and my thoughts and my opinions and my research and my programs, but it's, it's centered around feeding, but it's also about real life um, as well. And so I think I'm at 68 ish thousand um followers now and that's purely organic and I think the thing that has really helped is as I was saying to you earlier I get outraged about things so I like (laughs) to share that outrage with people and bring them along on the journey just side note before we got into this chat offline Kyla was talking about the outrage towards Centrelink which I'm sure a lot of parents are listening to this podcast right now and nodding along (laughs) and to be honest like I think that's That's the appeal of my account is I'm really trying to share evidence-based information, but it's really free from guilt and it's a real serve of me as I am a real person Mm. and just kind of helping people feel good about, yeah, feeding their kids because it's something that we all stress about. Um, Mm, So, yeah, I think think it's grown because I'm nice to people um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's grown because I'm honest and I share helpful things. Um, Mm. And I don't make people feel bad. I think with nutrition, there's so much out there that is like guilt and shame and you should be doing this and didn't you know you can't feed your kids that and, you know, you have yes. to buy these supplements and like there's so much, yeah, it just feels, oh, you don't consume that information and feel good. You feel like, oh, I'm a bad parent again, whereas mm-hmm. I really don't want people to feel like that. And let's be honest, the most guilt you ever feel is normally around your kids. Absolutely. So you don't need the added stress. Absolutely. And you show me a parent that's not already trying their best. Like yeah. we're all yeah. trying to do the best. Exactly. Yeah. So. And I think like what you mentioned about being yourself, like going to your account, it's so authentic. And I think that's why so many people connect with you because you're a human face to the brand. And, you know, people don't buy from brands. They buy from people. And, you 
you're just so authentic and you give little tidbits of information what you're doing behind the scenes and a day in the life of you yeah really helps to create connections I think which is great really made sure like I'm involved I still answer member questions in our group every week I'm still writing the content I'm still filming the videos like I'm 100% in this journey um, and I've got a team to help me get it done now Uh, but it's absolutely like has to be the way that I do it Um, and I think Somebody said to me, one of my friends said to me once, like, I really like watching your stories because I'm like, that's actually you. That, that's Kyla. It's not a, like a pretend version of you. Yes. I can actually imagine you saying that or I know that you would do that. And so I've tried to kind of hang on to that over the journey as well because I think people these days are so much smarter. You know, they can smell out somebody who's faking it. Oh, yeah, you know? totally. And you mentioned that you started the business on maternity leave and am I right in saying that your husband, your partner works away? Uh, he does a bit of, he's not a FIFO technically, but he works mm-hmm. away every couple of weeks. Um, so I don't even think I get the benefits of FIFO really. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he does work away a little bit. Um, and I started it when, it, yeah, so I must have launched it just after Elsie turned one. So I was basically writing that whole program. And I was a, a business of one for several years doing everything in that like that was you know I was building bloody website and like thinking about marketing and you know trying to automate things and send emails and grow my list and build my following and all the things Um, I mean it's amazing like starting a business hard enough but let alone as a new mum and then a partner who's away parts of the time like hats off to you I think in a way though I was really lucky because I knew what I wanted to do I never Mm. Like it was always so clear to me how this mm. thing had to look, what it had to deliver. And I think in some, you know, some businesses, they know they want to do something, but it's, you know, it's much harder to get that off the ground. Whereas I knew exactly, I, I'd worked in this space for so long and I look back on all of those things that have happened in my career and I think, oh, that all happened for a reason. Like all mm. of that led to me then being able to be like, it's got to be like this. My videos need to be short. I need to be, you know, showing them these techniques. I need, they need to understand this. And that definitely um, helped because I was just creating what I wanted to create, like what I wanted all families to have access to. And so it was work, but it also was super rewarding and it mm. still is super rewarding for me. Mm. Well, that's the thing, like, you're so passionate about it, but it's not just that. I think it's your desire to help families as well, and that's what really comes across. And I think it was because last year you won 40 Under 40 People's Choice. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well done. Because one of those prizes for People's Choice, isn't it? Yes, yes. Which just shows the community you have and that you've built up. How many members do you have now in the membership? I can't even tell you. See, this is one of the the shortcomings I have as a a leader. My stats knowledge of what's happening in our business is pretty poor. Um, Well, it's obviously working. (laughs) A couple of thousand in each membership at the moment. That's amazing. And what do you find the most rewarding aspect? The part is a big bit because I can – I can see there are so many things, like if we make small little tweaks, even in the way we think about feeding kids, it makes Mm. such a positive impact. So the thought that we can positively impact these next generation of children, you know, we can Mm. help them feel good in their bodies. We can help them learn to like a variety of foods. We don't have to stand over them and make them eat, you know, three bites of chicken. Imagine like all the benefits that are going to come from that. Mm. That's really, I love that. Um, and I love now that I can just do the things that I like. So I really try and stay in my genius zone. I'm really like 
trying to lead the business, trying to have these great ideas, trying to create some new products without getting bogged down in like uploading to Vimeo and scheduling my Mm. Facebook posts and all the things that um, often didn't get done because I had such a long list at Mm. the beginning. So I'm loving that I can do the things that really bring me joy now. So let's talk about how the business works now then. So you mentioned before you have nine staff members, is that right? Good question. I should know the numbers. But <laughs> uh, we've just had so many new start today. So there's, yeah, eight, eight um, staff members now. So all of them are part-time um, and most of them are mums, which is also mm-hmm. really cool that, um, you know, we can all be in this journey together. And I'm sure they can relate yeah, to a lot of and also what's happening. Flexible. So we, we yeah. have very flexible working arrangements. That's a real um, priority for our business. So, yeah, we've got me kind of um, leading the ship and my um, operations manager who keeps us all on track and, and keeps the things happening. Then we've got two dietitians who uh, are kind of feeding into the content of our uh, programs. We've got um, an admin officer. We've got a um, content manager in the Facebook group. Uh, and we've got a marketing um, manager coming she hasn't been in this role yet. She's coming back from Matt leave this week as well. So um, <laughs> she's got a new role in front of her as we try and kind of streamline some of our, our marketing or customer journey, which has been largely ignored up until this point because we just haven't known what to do. But mm. that's one of our goals for 2022 is to get clearer on that. And you mentioned that when you started out, you were doing all the things yourself. What did you find the most challenging or the the biggest challenge in the way when you started out, the biggest hurdle that you had to jump? Mm, the biggest hurdle, I guess, was that I, I, I'm i not a tech person and I'm launching a tech mm. product um, mm. and I don't, like I'm fairly savvy. I can work things out, you know, I can use my iPhone and stuff, but I don't have that background. So I really got burnt uh, in my first iteration of the membership by somebody who built it and didn't really know what they were doing or didn't know what I needed it for. Um, mm. We had so many tech problems and that came back in our member survey for that first mm. year. Um, and that was really hard because I was happy to fix it, but I just didn't know how or who to trust. Mm. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges. And then really for me, um, knowing where I needed to spend my time was probably tricky at that beginning point because I was trying to do everything and it was quite higgledy-piggledy. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um mm. And so there was probably like, yeah, I was overwhelming myself even more than I probably Mm. needed to be. But I don't know that you can have that clarity until you learn that lesson. So yeah, that's true. I survived. And what was a yeah? (laughs) And not only did you survive, but you thrived. (laughs) So what was the first thing that you did outsource, or would you have outsourced something? earlier so I or done something the different of the website and that burned me mm. um, but I still would have mm. had to do that because I had no yeah. idea um the next thing I outsourced I had a um a VA doing some basic stuff uh very early on but again I didn't have enough clarity around what I wanted them to do and I ended up having to kind of manage them to do the things that I wanted to do and it would have just been quicker for me to do it. So Mm. I kind of stopped that early, um, whereas I would have been better kind of having a clearer plan about Mm. how she was going to help me rather than just Mm. kind of drip feeding her little things. Mm. And was that just management of the website? Yeah, it was like like scheduling Facebook posts and Instagram kind of stuff. Um, 
but yeah, that was a little bit messy. Um, and then my next hire was my operations manager and that was uh, 2020, but she worked one day a week for 18 months. So the fact that we even managed to keep that going is beyond <laughs> amazing. And that was my year of mat leave the second year as well. So it was definitely yeah. a tight um, ship, a small team, but we've definitely so, so grown from there. How often does, she, how many days a week does she work now? Three now. Okay. Great, great. Looking back, like when you hired people and took them on board, did you have like a set process in place or was that something that you've developed over time? And Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and I think this is what I've really come to realise. This is Gemma, my operations manager. This is her skill set. So this yeah. is what she does. So this morning she spent the time onboarding our new team member. I told her the mm. things I really wanted her to know and she went away and did the processes to get that done. Mm. Um, and I thought prior to starting a business that I was a details person, but it turns out I'm not. I'm a big picture person (laughs) um, and I'm okay. I can get details done, but if it's not my priority, I I don't have any interest in doing it. So hiring Mm. her, hiring Gemma and having her really give structure to a lot of these things. We now have processes, we have policies around things. We have very clear, you know, I'm not just rewriting contracts every time somebody comes on board and, you know, we've got a process for that now. So having her fill the gaps that I don't have was Mm. the best thing I could have done. And then it saves so much time as well when you outsource the things that aren't your strengths and then you have more time to focus on the things that are, which leads to growth. And And then I get to do the things I enjoy. So Exactly. What do you enjoy the most about the business? I enjoy the leadership and the thought leadership. I really, Mm. that sounds a bit wanky, but I really love the ideas. I love being able to just kind of sit there and think, oh, let's do this, you know, what about this? Um, They're my kind of things and really the voice of the business, you know, really being the face and the brand um, because I just really enjoy that. I like it. Um, I like sharing that message and I like speaking. Um, I love doing, you know, mother's groups. I love doing big seminars. Mm. I love doing um, speaking kind of sessions. So that brings me a lot of joy and that helps Mm. to promote the business and, um, yeah, that's what I like. Speaking of ideas, you launched a high chair. Yeah, well, well, it's launching. um, Launching. Hopefully the middle of this year, so 2022. um, And that's been a learning process as well. I was going to say, like, developing a product is hard work. Thankfully, I'm partnering with a friend um, to do that. So it, it was born out of my frustration with the current high chair market uh, what's available, it's clearly not been made to actually suit children, which seems mm. crazy, or suit parents in terms of what we need, mm. you know, in a high chair. Um, and it got to a point where there was nothing I could recommend that ticked all the boxes. And so mm. we're like, well, let's let's make one. So that was a little bit idealistic and we got started in the process and we had to employ a structural engineer to really actually design this thing so that it would do what we wanted it to do and what we were going to promise. Um, And then the whole issue with production and plans and all of the things and then the global shipping delay and COVID, that kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, it was hopefully going to be launched now. Um, We're still pushing for the middle of the year and I hope that's a reasonable time frame. Um, And it's tricky because my – Potential customers are getting older, you know, the people who are ready yeah. to buy who have babies starting solids are now starting and they're going to have to, in, you know, borrow or invest in something else. That's mm. I hate that because I know that this high chair is going to be everything. 
that is mm. not on the market at the moment. It ticks all the boxes. It's got great postural support. It's beautiful. It's so easy to clean. It, you know, mm. actually holds onto sticky bowls. It, like, oh. the, oh, it's just so good. I'm using our sample at the moment and I'm thrilled with it. I just want to give it to people. That's so exciting. One thing I find frustrating is getting my daughter in and out of the high chair. She always gets stuck and then it's like a wrestle. <laughs> So this one, and that's part of our thing. So it has this little safety part that just unclicks. You squeeze it slightly in and Amazing. it pops out. It's got a five-point harness, so you can put that under a smock. If you ever have to get them out, you can squeeze it without oh. having to take their smock off. Like all those Brilliant. little things. There's yeah. no weird, like, harnessy thing that you have to hook their arms into, like, you, you mm. know, loading them up. That gets really dirty. Out. The washing of these things, oh, my God, it is so easy to wash these straps. Like things that if you're buying a high chair for the first time, you don't know you need these things. And that's, you know, why I guess people continue to buy high chairs that are rubbish. But imagine if we could have something that people can buy that's fab. Yes, yes, definitely agree. Just got to get it. Just got to get it here. (laughs) You're selling it well. You're selling it well. I'll I'll buy it. But hopefully my – I don't know if my daughter will still be in a high chair by the the middle of the year. The good thing about this chair actually is that it's going to give you a good 10 years of use. So it's one of those kind of adjustable ones that can go up to any height dining table. So if you think even about doing homework in the future at the kitchen table, you can actually have it at a setting so that they can comfortably – you know, right while they're sitting there. They're not sitting on an adult chair on their knees, you know, boosted up by something else. It's actually going to have heaps of use um, ongoing. So, yeah, because that's that's the things that we need. And nobody, Mm, these kind of bigger companies don't get it. I don't think. Well, we had to go buy it when our daughter turned about three or four. We had to go buy another chair that was suitable for the dining room table. That wasn't a high chair, but it was a higher seated chair. Yeah. And once again, I feel like you're providing a need where there's a gap in the market, just like you did with mealtimes. So let's go back to mealtimes a little bit. So as you mentioned, you're, you're doing school mealtimes now and family mealtimes. Can you talk a little bit about that? So school for mealtimes is literally, is what's this, week six of school? So it's three weeks old because in the first three weeks of school, I was so frustrated with what's currently happening in our schooling system around food and the messages Mm. that I was getting from people on Instagram was just heartbreaking. Do you know these lunchbox policing and food rules Mm. and you have to eat this amount before you can play and you can't Mm. bring these foods and you get a letter sent home if you've, you know, packed something that they don't deem appropriate. Um, And poor teachers in this situation as well, having to kind of follow some of these Mm. policies or it's so frustrating and I just said to the girls on my team so (laughs) I've got a problem I'm outraged about this let's launch a new product (laughs) so school meal times was born yeah like three or four weeks ago and um it was just I was obviously outraged at it and I was getting a bit of media attention um I was on the news on the radio there's a couple of print articles coming out Uh, And I just thought, we need to capitalize on this now. Like, this is what parents are frustrated about. This is what I'm talking to at every play date we go to. Like, everyone's in the same spot. We cannot just let this be. Um, And Mm. so we launched School Meal Times last week. Um, Very soft launch because it's still got a lot of work to do. But um, it's basically a guide for teachers, for parents, and for principals and schools about how we can support kids at school to become confident, adventurous eaters who feel good about their bodies rather than trying to shame or guilt them into healthy eating by telling Mm. them, you know, what they have to do or how much they have to eat, which there's no evidence for. And actually the evidence is showing that that's creating disordered eating 
thing. Do you know, that's mm. scaring our kids with food and, you know, this obsessing about healthy and unhealthy foods and how much they should eat. It's really, really scary. Mm. Um, so there's a heap of resources on there, you know, for parents who want to advocate to their school about change, mm. uh, for teachers, how to respond to parents who are asking them to make them eat all of their lunch, um, what kind of policies you can have in your classroom, uh, and then some support for schools about how we can actually follow the evidence that is there um, and how we can mm. have policy that supports teachers and supports parents and is not just, you know, make kids eat healthy foods because uh, mm. that just does not work. So school mealtimes then will feed into family mealtimes. So family mealtimes is going to be um, support for feeding your non-toddler, I guess, your school-aged mm. child, and it mm. really thinks about lunch boxes and family meals, you know, whether that's breakfast or dinner on the weekends and how they can kind of go hand in hand and how – we can, you know, cut through some of this diet culture for our older kids mm. as well and how we mm. can negate some of these, you know, black and white messages they're getting about food mm. and how we can support them to feel good about their bodies and about eating and sharing food and cooking and all of those things. So, um, yeah, schools is like the advocacy part of it and I, mm-hmm. that's something that I think I'm really lucky to be in a position to do because that's not necessarily a money-generating part of the business um but I think it's something that has to be so important do you go into schools and talk with the staff (laughs) yeah I mean this is three weeks in the making so it's very very (laughs) new um but yeah like I think there's potential for that there's some potential for teacher learning um professional development and it's Mm -hmm. tricky a lot of the things that are happening now are based on individual schools or individual teachers even who are making Mm, rules for their classroom or principals who have you know, watched a terrible documentary like this sugar mm. film and then made something up based on that that's not even based on, you know, actual scientific Science. facts. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, there's a whole lot of scaremongering going on mm. accidentally. And I, I will say that everybody is trying to do their best. I'm 100% aware that it's all well-intentioned. Everybody wants mm. the best for our kids. Mm. Nobody is deliberately trying to cause harm. Mm. But we are still causing harm. So we have mm. to take a look at traditionally what's been done and change the things that aren't working. And I think it comes down to where they're getting their knowledge, like their knowledge source. If that's not accurate, then they might think they're doing a good job, but perhaps it's, this you is know. This the challenge with food. You know, everybody mm. eats. So everybody has an opinion on food and everybody mm. has had something different that they've been told or that works for them or that, you know, someone they trust told them. And that becomes fact to them, do you know, mm. and we don't, we're not able to easily work through the misinformation around food, which is so prevalent. Mm. And food is not, food and nutrition is not black and white. It is so grey. There are so many things you have to understand to interpret evidence around food and eating. Um, and that's, you know, a lifetime of work. So, I don't expect teachers to be able to teach nutrition. I don't think they should. Mm. I also don't think we should expect them to police lunchboxes based on non-existent policy and criteria Mm. that doesn't even make sense. So, Mm. you know, like some schools, you have to eat your savoury item before your sweet item. So what? (laughs) If they have chips, they have to eat that before they eat their apple. Like there's... (laughs) It's so It's illogical, weird. isn't it? Yeah. I think I read some stats recently that eating disorders are on the rise and not just in young girls but also young men and um, it's attitudes around food but I think it's also social media fueling unrealistic ideas of what our body should look like. Um, and it does 
make me a bit scared for the future of my own girls. Terrifies me. The prevalence mm. of eating disorders in our community is mind blowing and it's getting worse and Mm. we just have such a responsibility to change how we talk about food and bodies and it's these little things that you don't realize but it's you know like that's healthy food and that's an unhealthy food and what Mm. do how do kids feel when they eat those foods like they taste good but you telling me it's unhealthy and it's bad. It's a red food. I shouldn't eat that food. And so then they get all the guilt. And, and guess what? Yeah. Guilt and shame and food. Hmm. What mm, does that brew? Mm, it just, exactly. it really, it terrifies me. Yeah. The language that we're using. Mm. And how young do these eating habits form? Is it essentially? Well, yeah. I had a conversation with my four-year-old two weeks ago about, is there sugar in this birthday cake, mum, for my first daughter's birthday cake? Is there sugar in this? Is it healthy? I'm like, why are we, why would you even, you know, think to ask that? Well, because that's what she's been talking about at school. But that's Mm. not what a four-year-old needs to be concerning Mm. themselves with. They don't even have the agency to make healthy choices. And I'm saying that in inverted commas because healthy choices isn't just choosing the very best, most nutritious food you can find. That is not healthy mm. eating. Healthy eating is about eating a variety of things, enjoying mm. it, sitting down, taking the time, looking after your body, mm. you know, and this positive relationship with food. It's not always only eating vegetables. And that's kind of where mm. we're heading in schools is this expectation, mm. particularly for these, well, young kids, but every child. Like three-year-olds mm. aren't meant, like a, a lunchbox packed full of vegetables isn't, more nutritious than something else, whereas that's what mm. we're expecting, that they can, you know, eat lots of these really tricky foods. Um, and in, yeah, it just frustrates me. <laughs> <laughs> I love your passion. I love it. I love it. And in terms of developing, like, the family mealtimes and the school mealtimes, it's great for, as well because in terms of your client base, obviously their kids are growing up but still probably going to face eating struggles. I know with my five-year-old, we She's harder to feed than the 20-month-old. She's a lot fussier. Because is that one thing that when you started out with the membership, you realised that, oh, no, their babies are going to grow up and I'm going to have to keep getting in new business because they're going to move on? Uh, yes. I was like, okay, well, they're going to get out of babies, but maybe they'll have a second baby and they'll you know, come back to baby meal times, which is true. A lot of our members have second or third children that they're coming back for. Um, but I just naturally progressed into that next phase where I had a toddler as well. And, you know, I'm talking mm. to my friends with toddlers and they're like, oh, today she wanted the blue plate and she wouldn't eat the sandwich if it wasn't cut like this. And so they're all the same challenges. Yeah. And it just, yeah. it's much easier for me when I'm living it to, to hear all those things and to, to think about the way I handle it based on the the evidence that I have and the experience that I have and the, the thousands of families that I've worked with. And so then I can think about how to package it up for them so that it makes sense to them too. So, you know, teen meal times in the future, who knows when we're at that stage. Um, <laughs> Might develop, yeah. I think that would be really beneficial as well. There's been a few be requests for husband meal times. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Luckily my husband, no issues there. He eats whatever <laughs> Um, but in terms of your community especially on Instagram I think the benefit of that as well right is that you can get immediate feedback about their questions their pain points and it was almost like you got to trial what it was they needed while you were developing meal times and you could put it answer all those questions and I do think 
one of the things that I did really well at the beginning is, or and still do, is I really listened. And this is something mm. that's been a core value for me in this business is if you're telling me something, even if it's not, you know, what I think it was or it's true for you, right? So if it's true mm. for you, we have to create something that helps you in that space. And so yes. I've really, really tried to listen to my members, to my followers, to people that take any time to contact me um, because then I understand their pain point and that's been really helpful. Like we have a member survey every year um, for baby and toddler mealtimes members and every year we respond with a really detailed list of how we're going to address the things that were brought up in the survey. Mm. And I can't tell you the number of emails I have back from that email to say, mm. oh, my God, like I've filled in millions of these things and nobody's ever said, oh, cool, yes. change that. Like, and I just, I thought that was so obvious. Like you've told me the issue, so now I'm going to fix it and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And yes. that doesn't seem to be a thing consistently um, for others. So yes. I, I've seen the value in mm. that and I'm really committed to that being, you know, a big part of what we do. I think that's so true because often businesses will listen to what they're saying, but very few of them let them know that they actually have been heard. And um, I think it was Oprah that said that people need to be seen, heard and understood or just listened to. And just by showing that you are listening – you're going to just get an even more loyal customer base Yeah, I do through feel that. like our customers are very loyal. Um, and I think that's mm. also because we try to deliver a really high standard of service. And also I think a lot of people are quite stressed around feeding their children. And when you solve that pain point, that is like a massive challenge in their life. And I'm sure they feel a lot of relief as well. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned as well that you had a clinic when you started. Do you, is that something you still do? Yeah, so that's staffed uh, not by me anymore, um, by our fabulous OT Lauren, and we've just had Liz, um, who's finished up at the end of this year, and we're just working out our next steps um, around whether we're expanding that or streamlining it or what we're going to do. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, excellent. And in terms of launching a business, now you've got two young kids, how do you manage the juggle? Do you, how many hours a week would you say you're I working on the business I at the moment? I do manage the jungle. Um, <laughs> look, until this point for the last year, I've had five dedicated hours for the last six months on the business. Um, wow. So I've had uh, somebody come into the house and care for my um, daughter for five hours. Um, but I can't believe how much you achieve in five hours. Surely you do oh, more I than five hours. Than no, <laughs> I was going to say. No <laughs> That would be my dedicated work time. That's when I've tried sure. to do the good stuff. She's just started daycare two days a week. So I now have school hours that are six hours a day of very wow. ridiculous small amount of time. Um, and I work at other times, but I've also become a lot more strategic. Like in the early days, mm. I, was I was absolutely working every single day. Um, I'd work every time she napped. I'd work on weekends, you know. I liked it though. I loved what I was doing. Mm. I had a real clarity around where I was going. Um, now I'm trying to work out how I can do it better and have clear times when I'm not available. Um, mm. I'm becoming a lot smarter about how I do things, trying to batch things. Um, mm. And I'm pretty efficient. Like that is a skill set of mine. 
but I don't want to be efficient to the point that I just burn out because there's there's mm. too much going on. So that's why I've continued to hire. Like this last six months has been a huge hiring. You know, there were two of us up until then um, and now there's eight. So that's been a big process. How have you found the hiring uh, process? I've been so lucky. I've purely headhunted at this point or employed mm-hmm. friends or, or family members. Um, my sister is our marketing um or membership officer. So that's been a, oh, a that's help. Great. Um, yeah. And I was lucky that I supervised a lot of students in my time at um, uh, the university. So I kind of reached yeah, out to people that I the thought good ones. might have been helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's been, I've, I've been very lucky. I'm well aware that all of my hires have been absolute rock stars and that's not mm. typical in a hire. Mm. So... Actually, I was listening to Caroline Shaw, who owns Live Well Physio, last week speak for International Women's Day, and she was saying that one of the massive benefits we have as a woman is our intuition, and especially when it comes to hiring people, it's kind of like a gut feel. You know who will work with your business, and you just need to make sure you tune into that and listen to it, and you will hire well. Yeah, I do think that's a, a very good point. Now, when I first invited you to come onto the podcast, you were like, oh, I'm not sure I'm creative enough. (laughs) Not in a traditional creative sense. I can see that I've created something, but I certainly cannot, like, do anything artistic. (laughs) Oh, I mean, what about the high chair? Yeah, that was the structural engineer. I can say, oh, that's beautiful, but I did not create the line for that. But you came to them with all the ideas for it. And I think that's very creative. I think people have a mindset about creativity where it's like, oh, you have to be an artist or you have to be a writer. But there's so many ways that we can be creative. And certainly generating ideas, that's such a key point of creativity. And it's something that so many entrepreneurs do so well. And that's how they become successful like yourself. When you come up with ideas for like meals, is there anything that inspires you? Do you draw mainly on from what you're feeding your girls and that generates your ideas or is it um, what people come to you with their problems and that? There's definitely the problems side to it and how I kind Mm. of choose things and the kind of criteria I use. I think I'm just lucky to be an ideas person. Like I've always thought, well, why don't we do that differently? Or I can see mm. the answer to that. Or I, I'm, I think I'm very good at asking questions. Some Several people have said to me, mm. your superpower is asking questions. Like you can ask mm. the right questions to get to the bottom of something and then you just solve that easy problem rather than trying to solve mm. this, you know, big problem. Um, I don't know that I have any, like lots of things come to me in the middle of the night, you know, after I've fed the baby and I'm thinking about something else. Um, I don't think I have a very clear plan about how I get inspired. I'm hoping this year to have some dedicated time in these two days to Mm. just think and reflect. And that's been, Mm. seemed very luxurious before to be able to just think about things. Um, Yeah. I still haven't started that yet, but I'm planning to. (laughs) Goals, goals. Not at 3am in the morning. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I have a, a clear way of doing things. When you started your business, was there, did you receive any mentorship or guidance or has there any, been anyone along the way that's helped you with guiding? Not early on. The first um, several years, I just listened to podcasts and thought, mm. like, that's an example of an ideas thing. Like, I would listen to a podcast on something unrelated to me, but I'd think, how could I do something like that in my business? And then I'd be mm. like, cool, I'll try that. 
you know, email mm. automation mm. or something. So I'd put that in and then I'd listen to another one. I think, yep, I could try something like this. Um, so I had no business ideas. I had very little business skill at the start. Uh, and then in 2019, 2020, I did, just before the pandemic hit, I did a little um three-day business course um Mm. and that changed my life like that really I was like okay like there are other people who don't know what they're doing and most people don't know what they're doing so you just got to work out what works for you and I needed to set bigger goals and I needed to address a lot of the beliefs I had about money um like there are several kind of things Mm. that I I realized were my shortcomings and then Mm. I did some business coaching. Uh, when would that have been last year that started? Yeah, it was just in the lead up to when Cleo was born. Um, and I thought, this is a stupid time. Why have I said yes? I was, you know, <laughs> like I'm trying to wrap Such a commitment. And, but yeah. actually it was the best thing I could have done because that really, um, it made me very clear on what I had to do and what I had to palm off and what I had to ask others to do. And what mm, I had to get rid of. Delegating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, there were a lot of things in that discussion and those kind of coaching sessions that I really got clear on what I want from my life as well, how I want that to mm. look with a new baby. And, you know, mm. I was still going to be answering questions on, you know, the early few weeks of my newborn. Like, why would I do that? That's not mm. smart for anybody. So was that one-to-one coaching or group coaching? It was a group. I think there were kind of eight, um, but you had individual sessions as part of it, check-ins. Sure. Um, And I had it like it was a three-hour intensive for the first one and I loved that. Like the thought of talking to somebody about my business for three hours just really lights me up because before that I'd only been in my own head really, like listening to a podcast and you don't know if that's really right for Mm. you. Um, So having that and then getting some real clarity yeah, game changer. And that's, I've been much more strategic in the last year mm. as a result of, you know, that coaching um, as to what I want to achieve, how I want to get there, what the kind mm. of avenues are. Uh, it's made a huge difference. Yep. I think that is something that a lot of business owners face is that they feel alone. Like, and it's hard, like not many of our friends are business owners. And so sometimes it feels very lonely and then you don't really have many people to bounce ideas off. And not many people want to talk about their work all day. Yeah, I, when you, like I, I know, same. I have two friends that I would go out for breakfast with them and they'd be like, so how's the business? I'd be like, well, actually, this and this and this. And they were kind <laughs> of interested. Like they yeah. weren't even, you know, business people. But I now have a group of um, other mums in business and we go out for dinner once a month. We've got one tonight um, where we, like, yeah, talk general gossip but also we talk a lot about our businesses and, you know, yes. really lean on each other. And that's awesome. Like we all love that topic of conversation and it's super rewarding to be able to talk about it with others who get it and who aren't just kind of humoring you by listening to your points and also the fact that you're a mum in business group as well because it is different to being a single man let's be honest in business because some of these things I'm like imagine if I had five days a week four hours to sit down and do this stuff I'm still very strategic about what we will actually work on you know and I I, lots of things just get let go because it's not a priority but imagine if you had that time to sit down and do all this stuff like I mean you'd probably fill it up with other rubbish as well like it just oh yeah doesn't it more distractions definitely but I do think think imagine if I'd done this before children 
I know, I know, I'm with you. I think the one thing about being a mum, though, is that it makes you way more focused because obviously you've got a lot less time to achieve your goals and you're just so laser sharp. And back in the old days, I used to work in government and they loved to employ women part-time, mums, because they knew those two days they were there, they would get as much work, if not more, done in those two days than the full-timers. So it's our superpower. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Even though our brains are like not working like they used to, we can still do it. <laughs> Mum brain is definitely is a thing. Yep. <laughs> so maybe just to finish off, if there was someone out there who really wanted to start their own business, maybe they are a new mum on mat leave and they have a really great idea, what would be like the golden tidbit? of advice that you would give them to follow that passion? It's mm, a good question. I, it's a hard one. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to put into one kind of nugget. I think there are kind of two parts of it. One is to protect yourself. So I, I did a bit of this, like, and I'd kind of started with the clinic while I was working elsewhere. I wasn't, there wasn't pressure on me to make this hugely profitable like my plan at the, mm. the beginning was to try and replace one day in the health department with one day of my own business so that I I didn't mm. have to go into that nine to five but it also wasn't like we weren't going to meet our mortgage repayments if I didn't yeah. do that so I think you want to take if you can not have the pressure on you and that's where I think in some ways I did trade my time in that I would put in those extra hours and I would you know work at night sometimes because that was something I could, you know, a commodity I did have at that time. Mm. Um, so I'd protect yourself, you know, while you're launching that and really know who you're launching to or who, you're, who your business mm. is for and then listen to them because they know the answers, even if you think you know it, until you've actually spoken to them and really got there. Mm. You really understand your, your customer. It's not going to work. You, you really have to know them. So true. So, so true. And in terms of easing yourself in slowly, do you think Matt Leave sped that process up? Because obviously you were taking a break from... Yeah, I, I think it sped the process up in that I didn't have to think about other work things mm. at mm. that time. Um, and I guess, yeah, I didn't really want to go back. So... I kind of had to be thinking about it, but I was always going to go back if it wasn't. Didn't work. Didn't yeah, work. I you had something had to fall back on. At the start, I was really yeah. just like, oh, yeah. I'll, you know, try and make a couple of thousand dollars and hope for the best. Um, so, yeah, I think you evolve. And I, I do think if you're starting off, you, you can't do everything. You cannot mm. build this perfect business from the beginning. You, you take baby steps, learn from them, keep going. If you've got a clear, you know, purpose and where you're heading then everything else will get there gradually you've just got to keep chipping actually that is my tip chip away chip away this is what helped me I did my PhD in childhood obesity and that's like a three or four year journey of writing this massive Mm. thesis and the thing that Mm. I think got me through that was chipping away just every day something Mm. else a little bit of something and all Mm. of those things you know what is it you underestimate you overestimate what you can do in a day but you underestimate what you can do in a year something like that so true Um, but if you keep chipping away when you look back you're like oh cool I've already done part of this work Mm. and same for me now if I look back at me on mat leave the first time there's no way I thought I would be able to get to where I am now Mm. and if I'd set myself that kind of 
expectation. I just don't think I would have made it, but I kept Mm. just doing little things when I could. Every 33-minute nap, I would try and do something else to Mm. move closer. And that, I think, is that's advice I give to all PhD students. That's the advice I give to all business owners. Like, you just got to keep pushing it a little bit further and Mm. each step gets you a little bit closer to where you want to go. It's so true because if you look at the end goal, sometimes it can just be so overwhelming. I would not have even started if I thought that's where we were going. (laughs) Just puts people off and they don't even start. But if you take it day by day, yeah. This is the same with the high care, exactly the same. If Mm. I look at how much, you know, has had to go into this and the back and forth and the problems and, you know, getting the engineer and the designer, blah, 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 we wouldn't have even bothered. Like that's why there isn't a good Mm. high chair probably because – it's a whole lot of work. <laughs> but if you just gradually keep chipping away, you end up with you get it. there. Yeah. yeah. So exciting. So, so where can people find you, Kyla? Where's uh, the best the place? place to find me is on Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Underscore Kyla, or you can hit up my website, mealtimes.com.au. And that has all the resources for schools, plus the links to the baby and the toddler memberships as well. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to have you on today and um, long time fan and it's <laughs> a privilege to interview. I was delighted to be here and I'm glad I could get rid of some of my fury about Centrelink and fuel it on something else. <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love chatting to Dr. Kyla. As you could probably hear in my giddy voice, I am a long-term fan of her work. So it was an absolute joy to have her on the podcast. One thing that certainly came across in our chat is just how passionate Dr. Kyla is about the way children view food and the need to establish healthy relationships with food. With that kind of passion, I just feel Dr. Kyla will succeed in whatever she does. You can find all of Dr. Kyla's details in the show notes. And if you have children, I recommend you check out her biz and follow her Insta account for feeding tips. Next week on the podcast, we're chatting with Donna Bramhall, another passionate creative who teaches other creatives how to have a positive mindset in their business so they can set themselves up for success. She empowers self-employed, passion-driven artists, designers, makers, and creators to overcome sneaky subconscious mind blocks to build their businesses and create the life of their dreams. I cannot wait to bring that podcast to you next week. But until then, here's to going all in on your creative pursuits. Thank you for listening to the Committed Creative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned at least one thing that will help you stay on the creative path. If you liked it, please subscribe as there's plenty more to come. And we'd love it if you could leave us a review if you found the podcast worthwhile. And if you didn't, please send us your feedback. We're all ears. You can check us out online at redplatypuscreative.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at redplatypuscreative. Remember, you are not alone in your creativity and you can make money from your creative pursuits. See you next time when we speak to another creative mind that's committed to making their way work. Here's to going all in and becoming a committed creative.